Okay, so we are in a vision series. We are talking about the vision of Bethel. Now, you have to bear with me. We are going to get to 1 Corinthians 3, but I got to talk about vision for a second, so much so that about halfway through my intro, you're going to go, is he ever going to get to 1 Corinthians 3? I promise I will, but here's the deal. Every year we do this where we preach through the vision of Bethel. It's good for us to be reminded of why we do the things that we do. It's good for us to be reminded of, oh yeah, this is our aim, this is our perspective. So, Bethel has a vision statement. You might have seen it before, it's on our website, that has guided us and led us and influenced us for a long, long time. Does anybody know the year Bethel Bible Church started? Anybody know? Great. 1982. And since 1982, this vision statement has has, has led us in ministry. It's our measurement. It is. We, when we're doing things and planning events and talking about ministry, we're always sort of referring back to this. And you know, does this line up with the vision statement? And so I'm going to read the vision statement for you. It's not real long. It's three small paragraphs. However, my wife told me in the first service I read too fast, so I'm going to try to slow down. So here is the Bethel vision statement. Bethel is committed to becoming a leading center in East Texas for Christian discipleship leadership development, and advanced biblical education. Next paragraph. By God's grace and for his glory, Bethel believes God has called Bethel Bible Church to become a community of several thousand members devoted to worshiping him, becoming Christ-like disciples, and affecting the world through outreach. Third paragraph. Bethel is committed to influencing the world through missions, outreach, and expects every member's involvement in community outreach, short-term, or full-time missions. To best fulfill this purpose, Bethel's intention is to be debt-free and to dedicate a minimum of 15% of its total resources to missions. That's our vision statement. A few years ago, Pastor Ross and the elders started to think about the vision statement we have and how we could make it easy to talk about in staff and as a congregation. I think it was around 2014, I believe. They came up with these things called identity statements. And these statements, would, would the, each one would refer to one of these paragraphs and they would be kind of a shorthand where we could refer to this and sort of know what aim we were going for from the vision statement. And these are the three identity statements, building leaders, growing communities, living generously. And so we say those internally and we say those as a church so that we can remember, oh yeah, this is what we're trying to do. And so today we're talking about building leaders. Now, we say this around here all the time. We say it at this church. You've probably heard other preachers say it, other churches say it, that we believe that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are called to be a leader that we believe God saved you for a purpose, and that is to be a leader to the people in your life. Now, some of you love this, okay? Some of you are just wired for leadership. You just love it. You got all the podcasts and all the videos and all the books and go to the seminar. Back in the day, you would have listened to a guy named Zig Ziglar. I don't know if anybody remembers Zig Ziglar. I heard one laugh. Scott Killow remembers. Um, John Maxwell, or even more recently, Tim Ferriss, Gary V, Joe Rogan, like some of y'all love leadership. You just get super jazzed about it. You're like, hashtag stay hungry, hashtag work harder, office for the day, maximize workflow, influencer, follow me on LinkedIn. Some of y'all love that, okay? I am not one of the people who love that because some of you don't. You're like me. Some of you are like, oh, be a leader. Can I just like be a person who 
loves Jesus and loves my family and goes to work and that's it. There's some of us who feel like, and I'll be honest, sometimes I can feel very corporate. It can feel almost like, like financial or like small business, right? Like, I don't know, I don't really know if I'm a leader. And so, before we get to 1 Corinthians 3, let me help us understand something. That, that if, if you are called to be a leader, so let's just say, follow me on that. So, if you, if you believe that, okay, yes, Todd, I'll follow you for a minute. If it's true we've been called to be a leader, then we're pointing people or leading people to a thing. And so I think you can reframe leadership. If you're like me and you get a little triggered by hashtag leadership, you can think of this. Anytime I say leaders today, that to be a leader, to do what God wants you to do in your life, to be a leader is to be a person who shows the greatness of God, that his mercy and power, and truth, and mercy, and all those things are so great and so powerful that as you follow him, you share those things with the people around you. Now, for me, that feels a little less pressure than be a leader. But I want you to understand, that's what we're talking about. I want to read just a few scriptures. This isn't even in our text, but just as a reminder, some of you have heard these. So, for example, Matthew 5, 16, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When God saves you and, and calls you to be his he calls you to be a person who shows his greatness. You can call that being a leader or, or not, but that's what's happening because his grace and his goodness is so big and so obvious, that's what you're called to do. So now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 3. All right, so I'm going to read this kind of in two chunks. So we're going to read the first, really most of the chapter all in one. We won't stop or break out any verses. Verse, verse 1 through 17 kind of sets us up with what Paul's saying to the Corinthians, okay? And then when we get to verse 18, we'll slow down just a little bit. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. <clears throat> For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 
So Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's coming at them kind of hard. So he opens with like, hey, I had to feed you milk because you were not yet ready, and guess what? You're still not mature. And he's talking to them about all of these troubles they're having. And he's talking to them about their immaturity and their lack of growth and spending time and energy and focus on things that are going to burn up. That's all that fire talk there. He's saying, hey, you are investing in things that are not going to matter eternally. And it all takes an interesting shape in verse 4. Let me read it again. For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So Paul, in this whole section, is trying to help the Corinthians understand that there's something bigger at work in being a Christ follower than these little strivings, these, these little allegiances, these, these disagreements about, well, I'm with this guy and you're with this guy and, and spending on t- time on things that are going to burn up, which involve leadership. So th- these Corinthians have a leadership problem. They're fighting over, well, I go with Paul and you go with Apollos and I want to do this and you want to do that. And so Paul is going to now start to talk to them about what it really means to follow Jesus, how their lives can show the greatness of God, getting past who you follow, getting past who you support, but getting down to the real truth and the real power of how you do that. So now look at verse 18. We're going to break some verses out here. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. We'll go to verse 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So people who show the greatness of God, leaders. Paul starts out this section by saying leaders are humble. Leaders are humble. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Leaders, people who show the greatness of God, are humble. Everybody in here, you, me, the person behind you, the person in front of you, everybody in here wants to be regarded as wise. Now you may say, oh, not me, Todd. I'm so spiritual. No, you're not because... You don't walk around, like if I told you, I mean, just imagine. Imagine you go to work tomorrow and you, you're walking down the hall and you hear some of your coworkers and, the, and you hear them saying, man, Todd, Todd's not very smart. I would be so mad. I would be so upset. Let me give it to you this way. I have a little truth. I have a little philosophy I want to give you here. This is not from Scripture. This is a Todd Wright original, and I want that to be known because this will revolutionize your life. I realize I'm not sounding very humble right now, but just follow me. This is a philosophy that will radically change your relationships with everyone in your family, everyone you work with. Here we go. You ready? Everybody is a nerd about something. You've got one or two things that you can go full geek on. I mean, you, if I handed you a mic, you could do a TED Talk right now. And it might be the silliest, weirdest thing, but you've got one. Some of you super nerds have two or three. To prove this to you, I got on social media Friday night and I asked people to, to DM me what their nerd thing was. And I told them to be honest because I wasn't going put to their, put their names out. 
okay? Here are some of the things people told me they were super nerds over. You ready? Scrapbooking, coffee, my children's facial expressions, Harry Potter trivia. Don't worry, elders and I are going to pray with that person after church. We're going to take care of the Harry Potter thing. Don't worry about that. She knows who she is. Knitting, P.E., physical education. Someone messaged me and said, I'm a nerd about P.E. And then they, then they wrote another thing. Actually, I'm a nerd about Corona homeschool physical education. So that's a, that's a niche thing right there. Civil War history, boring. Guns. And lastly, the John Wick trilogy. Now, really, we probably ought to get the gun guy to hang out with the John Wick guy. I feel like that's kind of a... Venn diagram there, there's a little bit of overlap here. But here's the deal. You've got some of those. <clears throat> Stay with me. I think this will prove the point. I have some too. And in fact, one of mine is early 90s contemporary Christian music. That's mine. So my parents didn't let me listen to secular music as a kid. And if, if I wanted secular music, no, 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 we'll go to Christian Words and Works, the bookstore in Lufkin, Texas, and you can buy a Christian version. It's just as good as the secular. No, it wasn't. But anyway, that's the way I was raised. Okay. So I grew up listening to Christian radio. I love Christian radios. So I was born in 76. So by the time the, the, the Christian music explosion of the early 90s was happening, I was a teenager and I loved it. And I'm a, I'm a super nerd about it. I'll put this on me, although this could happen to you because here's what happens. When you have a thing like that, this will prove that we want to be regarded as wise. Here's what happens. If I'm ever in a conversation and they start talking about 90s contemporary Christian music and they start getting it wrong, Oh, that bothers me. I'm the guy going, well, actually, DC Talk met at Liberty University. <laughs> it's not a big deal, but Toby Max from Virginia, you said Texas. That's wrong, but it's not a big deal. But here's the deal. That nerd thing that you've got, if somebody started talking about it wrong, you'd feel that in you because you've invested all this time. You know all this information. We all want to be regarded as wise. We all... Find some value in that wisdom. And listen, Paul's not, you know, so people say, oh, what's Paul saying? And be a fool and don't be wise. Paul's not putting down intellect here. What Paul's trying to do is he's trying to help us understand the limitations of human wisdom and to see the value of eternal wisdom. So he just said the wisdom of the, of the world is folly. He's trying to point the Corinthians Listen, don't deceive yourselves. Your wisdom's not enough. You've been operating in your wisdom this whole time, and it's not working. You're still, a, you're still a baby in the faith. You need to aim for a higher wisdom. You need God's wisdom, not your own. If you want to be a good leader or, as we said, a person who shows God's greatness, it will be obvious to the people around you that your desire is God's wisdom and not your own. That will be a a hallmark of what it means to be a Christ follower and to be a leader. And by the way, you know, I've just sort of jokingly mentioned these, these leadership experts and these, you know, these motivational speakers. And listen, you know, it does not take very long to do a YouTube search of some of these very famous motivational people and leadership people. And I'm just going to be honest with you, there are not a lot of them that seem very humble. But when the world talks about leadership, they tend to talk about being the guy or gal who has all the answers. Right? So when you watch Kitchen Nightmares, the guy comes in on Kitchen Nightmares and he's got all the answers. He's not really there as a servant. He's there as the boss. He's there to fix things. What Paul is saying and what God is saying here is a radical take on leadership. 
which says, no, 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 no. The world's got it all wrong. The world's got it backwards. Your wisdom is not enough. If you want to show the greatness of God, you've got to be humble. Leaders are humble. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 21, this will finish chapter 3, and then we're going to go into chapter 4 for just one verse. Here we go. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us. Now we're to chapter four. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Leaders don't boast. People who show the greatness of God, they don't boast. And specifically, this verse is telling us they don't boast about how well connected they are. So, so in this verse, you know, verse 21, all the way into chapter 4, verse 1, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. What Paul is saying here is like, listen, listen, you don't need to worry about all that stuff. God is sovereign. So, so you belong to Christ. That's who your allegiance is to. So we are very, very bad about attaching ourselves to a hero. Don't even have to be a famous person. Just some person that we're like, oh my goodness, I, I want to be like them. I want to spend all my time with them. And yet here's Paul saying, Paul, Cephas, material things, life, death, present, future, don't boast in those things. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. And yet the hard part about being a leader is that we live in a celebrity era. We live in a time where we attach ourselves to all kinds of causes and role models and celebrities, especially in Christianity. In fact, if I were to put on the screen 10 famous Christians that I like, so, so preachers, singers, authors, podcasters, whatever, worship leaders, whatever, if I were to throw 10 of those up there and I would say, these are my guys, Man, I'm attached to these guys. These guys are my heroes. And if you were to stand up and begin to point out things wrong with my heroes, I'd get mad. And by the time you got to the 10th one, I'd say, that's it, we're fighting in the church parking lot. I mean, I would get so mad because you're messing with my heroes. You're talking bad about my people. But here's the thing. I don't know those people. So I like what they do, and my hope is that they're upstanding and, and, and righteous people but I got to be careful about attaching myself to that because what I can try to do is I can try to follow their wisdom. I can try to mimic them and not be the leader that God wants me to be. Paul points this out. That's why he gets to ver uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Two phrases God uses here. Servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of of God. Listen, servants and stewards do not, the world doesn't talk that way about leadership. They don't. They don't talk about being a servant. They don't talk about being a steward. And that's what you get in your head all day long, every single day. And here is God saying, don't boast in men. You belong to Christ. You are God's. He's sovereign over every single thing. When someone is, is, you know, telling me, sometimes they'll be telling me, about, oh, you, you need to read this book or you need to watch this show or you need to follow this podcast or you need to go to this conference. I, I hardly ever hear 
in all of this promotion, in all of this commercial they're giving me. I hardly ever hear, this guy's a servant. This guy's a good steward. I mean, can you imagine a commercial for some famous Christian con- conference? And, and if they didn't really do a commercial and they were just like, come to the conference, this guy's a servant. You'd be like, eh, pass, doesn't sound cool enough. And yet, God is saying that's exactly what a good leader is. A good leader is a servant of Christ. He or she is a steward of the mystery of God. Here's Paul saying, church, be known as servants. Don't be attached to celebrity. Don't be attached to heroes. Don't even be attached to heroes in the room. Oh, I got to be exactly like that person. Aim for something higher. Aim for God's wisdom. So yes, leaders are humble, but also leaders don't boast. Look at the, uh, our last verse is verse 2 of chapter 4. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Leaders are faithful. People who show the greatness of God are faithful. We worry so much about failure when we should be focusing on faithfulness. Now, I'm going to be like Paul and I'm going to get in your face for a second, okay? Just bear with me. If you're a hashtag leadership person like I'm talking about and you just love that and you just obsess about the leadership things, here's what verse 2 of chapter 4 is telling you. This is what, this is what I think what we can learn from this. If we're wired to love leadership and all those things, we have to understand that sometimes we obsess about all that stuff because we're afraid of failing. Well, if I buy all the books and I do all the things, then no one will know um, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And now the rest of us, that group I talked about at the beginning who don't love leadership, like, ah, I don't want to do that. That's fear of failure too. Oh, I don't want to lead a life group. No, work in the youth group. I'm scared of teenagers. You're crazy. I'll mess everything up. We are so afraid of failure. And here is Paul. Here is what Paul's saying, that leaders are faithful. This is where our reticence about leadership comes from. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. Well, join the club. Nobody is. Here's Paul saying, stop worrying about failure. Go for faithfulness. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need God's greatness. It's all about showing God's greatness. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need it. In fact, I hope this is a new catchphrase that catches on, okay? I I think we ought to be saying that more often. I really think you ought to walk into work tomorrow and they'll be like, hey, Jim, how you doing? And you just be like, need God's greatness. And then you just walk off because that's true. You need God's greatness. I need God's greatness. Listen, Fritz Hager has already told me that this week I have to work on the church budget. I don't want to work on the church budget. It's boring, It's math. And yet, if you come here this week, let's, I'm not saying you have to, but let's say you brought me a Dairy Queen blizzard in the middle of the day. I'm not saying you have to, but if you did, Butterfinger, if you did and you walked in my cubicle and you see I've got, you know, 11 Excel spreadsheets open and I'm sweating and I'm guzzling Coke Zero. And if you walk in and you say, hey, Todd, how's it going? I'm going to say to you, I need God's greatness. That's what I need. 
I want to be found faithful, but I know myself. I cannot do that on my own. This came home to me just a couple of months ago. So um, back in, I, th- I think it was June, Kristen, my wife, her grandmother passed away late June. And we called her Mumsy. Her real name was Bernice, but we called her Mumsy. Mumsy had been sick for a while. Her, uh, she was in sort of assisted living and memory was kind of going and, and she, was, she was not doing very well. And so she finally passed. And so Kristen's family, you know, let us know. You know, it was going to be the funeral and all this stuff. And so um, Kristen's mom had asked me if I would be a pallbearer. And I said, yes, I would. And so we go back home to the visitation. There's not a lot of people there. And so we're just kind of milling around. And so Kristen's dad comes up to me and goes, hey, I know you're, you got asked to be a pallbearer, but would you mind also reading the obituary to start the service? And I said, yeah, it's fine. No problem. And so we stayed at my in-law's house. So we leave the visitation and we all go home. And so you, you know this, if you've had a death in the family, that it's just a weird few days and, and you know, nobody's sleeping right and there's too much food and none of it's healthy and it's just a weird time. And so that night we're all just sort of sitting around the room just talking about Mumsy. And so I say, well, who's, who's preaching tomorrow? I know there's not a lot, this is, the service is pretty simple, but who's preaching? And they said, oh, Brother Bobby's preaching. Now, I, I don't know Brother Bobby, but I had heard of him because he had been Mumsy's pastor for decades. I mean, he... They'd gone to church together. I even think when he moved to a different church, she followed. And, and so I, I know of Brother Bobby, but I don't know Brother Bobby. And so I said, okay, well, that'd be great. So we go to the funeral home, and they're putting a little flower on me. And they say, hey, are you the pallbearer who's going to read the obituary? And I say, yes. And they say, okay, well, you need to come over here. We're going to meet with you and Brother Bobby and kind of work out the order of the service. And I said, okay. And so go in. I meet Brother Bobby, and he's there, and he's probably in his 80s, super nice guy. And They say, okay, there's going to be a song, and then, Todd, you're going to get up and read the obituary, and then Brother Bobby's going to preach, and then there'll be a closing song. They said, but, Todd, we we want you to go in first because we want you to sit at the end of the aisle so you can get up after the first song and go do the obituary. And so I did that, went, read the obituary, prayed. It was fine. I sat back down. But because of where they put me, I was like three feet from Brother Bobby, four feet max. We were not socially distanced. I'm sorry, okay? But I find myself sitting in front of Brother Bobby. So here's this 80-year-old congregational Methodist preacher who, who opens and he starts to talk about Mumsy and how much he loved her and cared for her and what she meant to the church. It was great and it was heartfelt. And so he, he, he sort of talks about her for a little bit and, and talks about what, you know, how awesome she was. And then he moves in to preach the gospel and he preaches the gospel, this awesome sermon about how our hope is in Jesus and we have hope after death. And I'm sitting there and, and it's, it's just... It's just a plain country preacher sermon. It's not, it's not glitzy. It's not funny. There's no gimmicks. It's not real flashy. You know, he stumbled over a word or two. It was not perfect by any means. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Brother Bobby preach this. And I, I don't know why. But all I could think about was, was how I would have reacted to that sermon when I was in my 20s. I got really convicted because what I knew about myself is that if I was hearing that sermon in my 20s, inside my mind, I would have been going, well, it's not very good. It's, you know, he really ought to be more exciting there. There could be a joke there. It could be a story there. Oh, he could change that up. But now at my age, what I realize sitting there right in front of Brother Bobby is that the older I get, the more I value that kind of faithfulness. That, that here is a guy who stands up and proclaims the gospel, plain spoken, simple, 
clear proclamation of the gospel. Brother Bobby's never going to be famous. And in fact, if you were able to add up all the people who even know Brother Bobby's name, it might be a few hundred. It might be a thousand. Brother Bobby's written no books. Brother Bobby's not on YouTube. Brother Bobby's not even a star in his own denomination. And yet here is a man who has been faithful for 50 years to preach the gospel. This guy's been a leader. No one will ever pat him on the back or give him a book deal. And yet I'm sitting there moved to hear Brother Bobby preach to think, when I'm 80, that's what I want to be. I, I want people to say of me, man, that guy was faithful. The older I get, the more important that becomes to me. What Paul says here, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Leaders are faithful. You will never show God's greatness by making sure people think you're smart because you're not and I'm not. You'll never show God's greatness by mimicking somebody famous because that's not what matters. And you'll never show God's greatness by being perfect because you can't. God doesn't want stars. He wants servants. And so as you think about the things that God's putting in front of you and the things that God's calling you to do, there are some of you here today, God's calling you to something and you know it. It's not a mystery. There's some of you that God is calling you to do something that will show his greatness and you are scared. You are scared of failure. You're scared you're not smart enough. You're scared you're, you don't have enough credibility. And here is 1 Corinthians 3 saying, be humble, don't boast, be faithful. That ought to set you free. Th this is my prayer for this. And we're almost done. My hope is that if you're wired for leadership, that 1 Corinthians 3 and the first part of 1 Corinthians 4 would, would challenge you in this. That it's about humility. That it's about faithfulness. That it's about relying on the wisdom of God and not your own. And if you are that other group and you don't want to be a leader, you don't like leadership, my hope is that 1 Corinthians 3 and the first part of 1 Corinthians 4 would set you free, that you realize no one's asking you to be a star. Someone's just asking you, God's just asking you to be faithful. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I do know that if we are a church who cares more about faithfulness than fame, then we will show God's greatness. 1 Corinthians 3 is telling us what God requires of us if we're going to be leaders, if we're going to show his greatness. I'm going to have Drew come up. We're going to sing in just a second. I'm going to pray for us. And my hope and my prayer is that the Spirit will convict you and move you and instruct you to put your whole faith and reliance on God, that you would seek His wisdom and not your own, that you would not attach yourself to heroes, you would attach yourself to Him, and that you would focus on faithfulness and not perfection. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the conviction of it. I thank you that you give us instruction and wisdom so faithfully through it. And I pray, God, that you would help us as we think about what you're calling us to do and, and being a person who reflects you and shows your greatness, God, that you would help us to, to have the right kind of perspective on it 
to not get confused by the world's wisdom, to not pursue that, but to pursue your wisdom, to fill our minds with your word and what you say about how to live life. Would you make us servants and stewards? God, help us to be the quiet, faithful, consistent servants of Christ. Help us to glorify you in all those small ways, in all those faithful ways. We pray that you be glorified and honored in our lives today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would, would you stand and let's sing with Drew, and then he'll dismiss us.